The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. You are listening to Know the Score, presented by the CSPN. You can visit our website at knowthescore.cspn.us. Follow us on Twitter at KTSPod. Keep the conversation going using the hashtag KTSPod. You can listen to us on a variety of platforms on iTunes via the podcast app, Stitcher Smart Radio app, TuneIn Radio, on SoundCloud, or directly via our website, cspn.us. Cast your votes in our weekly polls at knowthescore.cspn.us or via the KTSPod Twitter account. You can find our weekly polls on Twitter by using the hashtag KTSPolls. Keep our podcast and the network free for you by visiting our sponsors by going to cspn.us and clicking on the keep our podcast free link at the top of the page we have our full team here at know the score i'm your host tyler ball you can find me on twitter at ta ball the number one uh want to introduce the panel of regular hosts here at know the score uh First, we have the guy that you can hear on the Rasslecast, Don DeLaRente, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Don DeLaRente. What's going on, Don? Good morning, good morning. All right, and on the scene, fresh from checking out the Atlanta Hawks, we have our beat writer, our reporter, Nubias Wilborn, and you can follow him at nwilborn19, and you can also check him out on the CSPN with his show, Beer It Is. What's up, Nubias? Man, another day in the jungle, man. Let's get this party started, boys. All right, we're going to jump it off with the NFL. give a week a preview of week's upcoming games but first we're going to recap and bring out some breaking news first of all um two major injuries uh one that's actually going to shape the the playoff race rob gronkowski will have surgery actually today as we're recording um he's going to have back surgery um this kind of changes things for the new england patriots it's interesting that tom brady as quarterback without gronkowski has an interception rating increased by double um he has a ratio of i think 2.6 to 1 and when gronkowski's on the field it goes to um you know five touchdowns for every interception so um you guys just break down how this injury changes not only what the Patriots do on offense, but um, the actual uh, playoff chase. We'll start with Don. I will start with the Patriots first. Uh, for them, they're going to kind of have to go back to the beginning of last year, kind of what they were trying to do, where you may see a little bit more power running football, where they may go back to being more of a grind you out, kind of go to kind of what the Cowboys are kind of doing where they get it in second and third and short, and then they pick up those conversions by Tom Brady throwing underneath to the little fast scat receivers. Uh, benefit, who person who may benefit from this may be Malcolm Mitchell. He seemed to kind of be the big target uh, in the game last week once Grant did get hurt. Um, he did get the game-winning touchdown catch, so maybe we'll see something out of him where he becomes a bigger factor. And that could also change up kind of what they can do on offense then if he can establish himself as a big play uh, receiver that Tom Brady can count on. For the playoffs, it opens everything up, especially for the Dolphins now, who still have games against the Patriots. They're hot. They can run the ball, which is be very effective because the Patriots' uh, front seven is very weak. They can't rush the passer, and they don't really stop the run that well. Their secondary is very good, though. So for Miami, that'll be kind of a trap 22 because they like to establish a running game, but their coach likes to throw the ball a lot, too. So that'll be an interesting kind of matchup for them. So the Dolphins become in play now, and then for the whole playoff picture, the Raiders may be able to get the home field advantage now, depending on if it takes the Patriots a game or two to adjust to not having Gronk and they stumble. Now the playoffs could go through Oakland if they can continue to win and be as impressive as, as they are. So it can maybe come back to the Raiders getting their revenge against the Patriots, but this time in the black hole if everything shakes out to where they both make it to the championship game. So um, with back injuries, I don't expect to see Gronk anymore this season. You know, they're always talking about, well, maybe he'll be available for this game in the playoffs as we've seen back injuries are the one injury that no matter the timetable it's always best to give it more time than you're diagnosed to have or you'll end up like jj watt where you'll try to come out and you'll probably be about 85 percent and if you do anything the wrong way you're more than likely gonna have to get surgery again and be out even longer so with your back it's best to you know be cautious and stay out you know until the next season if you're wrong well i mean um and being out totally changes what they do offensively and really affects the whole team because you go from having one of the more dynamic offenses in football to being maybe above average on offense. I mean, he's your playmaker. He's your, you know, Randy Moss. Not to say he runs the same type of routes as Moss, but you get what I'm saying, like as far as just being dominant. And they just don't have that. I mean, they have some good players and 
Brady's still Brady and Belichick's still Belichick's. I mean, you know, they'll figure things out. I think the Raiders are a really good team. I do wonder if Derek Carr is really ready for, you know, ready to win a championship being so young. But, I mean, this could be their year. And, you know, I said this thing was a couple weeks ago. I was like, hey, man, you know, Cowboys, Raiders, Super Bowl would just be fascinating. And we may be closer to that now. Um, I don't know about the Dolphins. I do like what they're doing. I do think, like I said, the question is, again, for them, their quarterback. But they have been doing some really good things. I think they have a good chance at, you know, at least making the playoffs. I still think the AFC West is going to get their three teams in. I still think it's going to be Broncos and Chiefs and, of course, Raiders. So, and unfortunately, AFC South has to put somebody in there. So, whoever whoever gets out of the, the bile that is that division. I still think the Patriots are a favorite. I just don't think they're D favorite anymore. Like, I thought two weeks ago that they were a D favorite. Now they're a favorite. So we'll see who come out of AFC because it could it could now be anybody and that would make for some interesting fighter going around going along the rest of the way. Hey Tyler, since you're a Cowboys fan and I've been kind of seeing this from afar with Derek Carr, but doesn't it look like the same thing that Troy Aikman did when he was a, a rookie? He was without the injuries, of course, that Troy Aikman in the sacks. He kind of had a, huh, you know, rookie year, but you could see it. The second year he struggled the first half and the second half he played lights out. And then this year, he's just, you know, hit the ground running with that shootout against New Orleans on opening day all through to now we're here at week 13. It, it kind of reminds me of kind of what Troy Aikman did in between his second and third years when Dallas went from on the edge of making the playoffs to in the playoffs and then they won the Super Bowl. Here's the, the difference. Uh, Carr, has, Carr has thrown the ball way more than um than Aikman had to. Um, the Raiders still don't necessarily believe in a running game. Um, even though they've got they've put up they've put up pretty solid numbers over the past three or four weeks, especially against Denver. Um, but I think Denver, that was large, that was due to Denver's injuries. But the difference between what Aikman had and it was kind of luxury at Dallas was that Aikman didn't necessarily have to throw the ball uh, fifteen, I mean twenty to thirty yards down the field in order for the team to move. I mean you did have a young and developing Emmett Smith. Um, you did have one of the best tight ends in the game, um, in Jay Novacek, who was developing as well. Um, they actually believed in balance, and I don't think the Raiders are quite as balanced as Aikman did. So there's not a there's not a a there wasn't as much pressure on Aikman to have to deliver like Carr does for the Raiders now. But you can see the improvement, and I totally agree with you there. Um, he's, he's He's making the throws, um, and I actually think he's getting a career year from Michael Crabtree, and Seth Roberts has developed into a very nice option at number three that I'm sure some several teams would like to have as their number two. Um, I think that with their development of their overall receiving core, um, you know, I, I'm just looking to see them take that next step forward, but they, eventually they're going to have to have some, some semblance of a running game um, depending on who they play. Uh, now, as far as uh, Gronkowski goes, uh, there's also another element. Um, you know, the Patriots have tried to go with this whole two tight end set and attack you with, um, you know, via the boundaries with those tight ends. And they just, you know, via suspension or, you know, or Gronk's injuries, you know, they just, it just hasn't happened like it should. Um, also, uh, there's another key situ- where um, another key situation is Deion Lewis. Um, is he going to figure into the fold? If, if you know, if he comes back, that gives them another weapon. But uh, is uh, Tom Brady just going to have to make it work with what he's got? And you know, although he's good, I still think that you know, some way, somehow, they're going to um, come up short against a team like um, the Raiders. Uh, moving to the NFC, uh, there's a significant injury. Uh, Jay Cutler will also be out for the season. Um, he, he's going to have surgery um, today as well as we record. Um, but this is not necessarily a playoff deal. This is just um, signifying the possibly the end of the line for Chicago and Jay Cutler. Uh, Nabias, just break down, um, you know, this whole, I guess, abject failure uh, with Cutler in Chicago and and the craziness and um, you know Cutler falling in and out of favor with his teammates and maybe even the city of Chicago. What do you think about that? Well, I mean it's a, it's an interesting conundrum there. I I do think Jake Cutler has I guess as they say arm talent, right? Like he's got he can throw he can make every throw and he can make him well. He still he can still sling it, man. I mean you know there aren't many guys who could throw it better than him. So there's that, but. 
you know, there's just these other intangibles that are just missing with them. I think that we all can agree on that. And, you know, just got to the point where, you know, it's like a relationship, man. Like, like any relationship, really. You know, there comes a point where it runs its course. And I think that his relationship with that organization as well as that city has run its course. Unfortunately, he'll never be able to shake the reputation of being disengaged, be it his facial expressions. I think, and some of it I think it's just unfair, but some of it's well earned. But the point where we're at is that it's just time for all parties to move on. And, you know, again, like any relationship, even. You know, even if you're, even if the girl talks talks down about you on Twitter, yeah, she still has something to do with it too, right? Like it's never 100 percent one person's fault. You know, I think they always could have put better talent around them. The offensive line is pretty terrible. They really don't have a lot of dynamic receivers this year. I mean, you know, they're just not a really good team. I mean, it's just what that is. But it's not all his fault, and it's also not all their fault where he had that, where he's had struggle. In summary, I say all that to say that um, hopefully for both sides, they're able to amicably move apart and move on again like you would hope that happens in your relationship. But of course, you know how that goes. She's going to subtweet you and, and delete all your pictures and just don't go stalk her a timeline. So hopefully for Jay Cutler, he doesn't go stalk her timeline and, and try to find out who she's with and try to deduct all that stuff. He just leaves it alone, moves on, gets where he gets, and hopefully can finish his career off decently. And for the Bears, they just need to move on from him, draft the quarterback and build him up and get their life back together. And same thing, don't go stalk in his timeline. So that's just what has to happen. Um, uh- one thing about this whole um, this color situation is that this also brings to light the um, the situation of quarterback play in the NFL. Uh, you know, we talked about it online this week. Uh, the college game with the read option, which is you know majority of college and high school football runs the read option. Uh, does that give quarterbacks time to develop in the NFL? You know, this is why an arm talent like like Jay Cutler can still get a job. I mean, as poorly as he's played for the most part, or even, you know, even if he's at 50-50, he's still a lot better than the quarterbacks in this league. Um, but does that have to do with the lack of development in the NFL where you got read option quarterbacks coming in to a passing league and they can't make all the throws? Yes, um, because college has gotten away from the pro-style quote-unquote offense. I mean, if you think about it, you can probably name, you know, the 10 schools that do it. If you think about it, like USC still kind of does their pro-style. I guess Alabama would be a pro-style, but they've kind of even gone to more of a re-option. The NFL, as I've always stated, is just slow to transition to what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is playing football this way. They're still playing football that way. And so the one player who skills from the way he's brought up playing football that doesn't translate to the NFL is the quarterback. So they have one or two options. You can do what Carolina and what the Shanahan's tried to do, which was, okay, you teach us what you do and we'll blend that in with what we do. And if we can stay together long enough, we'll create like this offense that is a blend of both and we'll work with you and teach you how to read the defense and check out the line of scrimmage. And you get what Cam Newton gave us last year where everything came together. Or you get a quarterback who kind of resisted and you get kind of what Robert Griffin became where, okay, well, we'll scrap that way that we kind of blend it and then we'll just straight play NFL style football and you'll get exposed. So that's kind of the two thoughts that you can kind of have. Or you do what the Rams are kind of trying to do or try to do which is you take golf and stash them for as long as you can, deprogram them of all the college stuff, try to reprogram them with all your NFL stuff and have nobody see them. And when he finally gets on the field, if you've had a season or a season and a half to put all the NFL stuff into him, then he can maybe come out here and play. So the NFL is just going to have to adapt their way because the read option and the spread and all that stuff is not going to come out of college football because it allows everybody to compete. If you're not as far as talented and have the numbers, if you have a gimmick offense, you can, you know, shock a big team every now and again. And the NFL just needs to get with it. You know, um, it's interesting that we're talking about the read option and how this, um, you know, this quick offense set by Chip Kelly. Uh, here's the sign to look at. Uh, Oregon just fired Kelly's uh, replacement, and that kind of signifies the end of an era at Oregon football. What I wonder with you know Oregon going you know falling down because they can't recruit um, they can't recruit size and big people, literally offensive and defensive linemen, uh, versus I guess the rest of the Pac-10, which is in the in the big cities and all, and they can attract 
they could attract other other players uh could you see a rise of usc as you know usc's rising could you see a rise of maybe the pro set coming back no because the only teams that are able to really run the pro set are going to be the teams that recruit the best so like you know if texas wanted to they could go back to running a pro style offense but it probably wouldn't be as explosive enough as they need to be to take advantage of those bad defenses in the Big 12 because everybody else over there is playing video game style offense and they well, put I mean, up 40, I mean, but it, you know what, 50. It's really, more, it's really more or less just, you know, the game is cyclical, right? I mean, because at one point it was everybody ran to his phone. Then at one point it was... Um, you know, everybody in shotgun, right? You know, so I mean, it, it yeah, the run and shoot, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it always changes, it always evolves. So, I mean, it's hard to say what'll happen. And, uh, but a lot of it is what goes on at the grassroots level. Like, one thing I noticed, you know, when I worked in Ohio was um, when the offenses, and it's something um, Ohio State has done a really good job of, they're doing a lot of camps with the high school coaches. And basically, Urban Meyer was like, hey, look, man, um, if you want to get kids to Ohio State, this is what you need to run. You know, without saying it literally, he basically said it. And so, you know, as, you know, the Big Ten used to be known for these big plotting offensive linemen, well, you know, that's not what works. And that's definitely not what Urban Meyer does. So you're starting to see a change in the linemen that are coming in high school. You're starting to see a change in the D linemen that are coming in high school. So I, I think it, it's really more on the high school level than it is the college level because it is getting kids earlier to adapt. And then even from there, um, one of the places I covered was Glenville Prep. Um, and they had this kid, Marshawn Lattimore, who will probably be a first round pick um basically from the early 90s to 2014 um glenville had a kid to go to ohio state every year right and of course their coach ted ginn senior his son obviously ted ginn jr but they've had you know deontay whitner i mean we can go on and on and on down the line of players that have come out of this high school program and he had a really great relationship with trussell as well as the previous ohio state coach john cooper so I, I'm, I'm using this story to make the point of it's really more about what the high school guys are doing and what they're teaching than it is even about college. Because at college, you're taking what guys can do and you're making it work. So the relationships between high school and college have to continue to get better. And I think as that happens, I think you'll see the game evolve and it'll make it up to the pro level. So it may be a few years. We'll see. But one thing I know about the NFL, man, they do a good job of addressing problems. So the NFL has a quarterback problem and pretty sure they're going to figure it out one way or the other. All right, as we look into this week's um, schedule and also the playoff picture, um, as of right now, I'll, uh, I'll go through if the playoffs were to start today. Uh, in the AFC, your top seed would be the Patriots, two seed would be the Raiders. Uh, your wild card seeds would be the um, the Ravens would be the third seed as the AFC North champion. Texas would be the fourth seed as the AFC South champion, and your wild cards would be the Dolphins as the sixth seed and the Chiefs as the five seed. In the NFC, you have your one seed, of course, would be Dallas Cowboys. Um, the Seahawks would actually be a tiebreaker. Well, not tiebreaker, but they're seven, three, and one. Uh, they'd be the two. The Lions, by virtue of that, that Seahawk tie would drop to the third seed. Um, and they have tiebreaker over the Atlanta Falcons, which would be the four seed. The wild cards are still right now the two teams from the NFC East, the Redskins and the Giants. The Redskins, by virtue of their win over the Giants, uh, I mean the Giants would now would be the five seed, and the Redskins would be the six. As we look into the schedule for this week, uh, are there any games that you guys are looking forward to? Um, any game that has uh, anything to do with the Redskins uh, playoff chances, so that would be the Giants and the Steelers. That would be the I think it's the uh, whoever Green Bay's playing. I think they're playing Buffalo, um, and also uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they've snuck in now with their win last week over uh, Seattle, which is probably the biggest upset of the weekend. So anything that has to do with Redskins playoff chances outside of their own game is uh, the games I'm looking forward to this week. All right, Nubias, any anything uh, you're looking at? Well, yeah, I mean, um, oddly enough, uh, Falcons-Chiefs tomorrow will be very interesting to me. I mean, this game matters for both teams as I still think that Carolina has an outside shot of getting their life together. And, of course, they play in Seattle, so that interests me. A um, little bit of trash talking. Um, Cam's been quiet this week, but uh, not so much on the Seattle side. And they seem to be very – Richard Sherman seems to – have a long memory of Cam's transgressions against them. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. And also, I really want to see, can the Cowboys keep it going, right? All right, as we look into this week's um, schedule. Well, they uh, they still have the horseshoe as uh, the Vikings 
fumble their life away on uh, Thursday night. So, you know, one more victory and another team that shakes their head after the game and is like, they're not better than us. We should have won the football game or at least take it into overtime. So, you know, well, you know, like I said it's so simple that it's that it's actually complex and confusing. Well, hey, man, look, man. You Bill know. Parcells, you know, I'm going to go with Bill Parcells on this one. Good teams win games that you are, and actually you are what your record is. That's all I'm going to say, pretty much. I mean, look, man, I, I, I can't crap on them one way or the other. Um, you know, 11-1 is 11-1, man, and they played against good teams. They played against bad teams, and they found ways to win games, and I do think that matters. Um, you know, I read an article where they were saying that Dak and um, Elliott are maybe the two, Ezekiel Elliott, maybe the two best rookie players ever together. And I don't know if I'm if I can disagree with it. I mean, they're having a very special year, and they've been able to do some really awesome things. So, I, I it's kind of hard just because you know you have that those negative perceptions of the Cowboys as to if they're really a championship contender because you know just this the last twenty years they just haven't gotten it done. But I think if we look at the Cowboys historically overall, I mean, they might just be due, and this could be the year, man. It really could be. Um, and it's, it's Thursday night uh, as a Cowboy fan. Uh, there were certain things that were set up for them to lose. Uh, third game in 12 days. You're playing against probably the best defensive line you'll see for the rest of the season. Uh, you know, during the game, you got the uh, Minnesota's defensive line just getting pressure on Dak. Dak making a few, making a couple of mistakes. Uh, but there were three plays that were just signs that I guess Dallas will, will you know, eventually figure it out. Um, the on the scoring drive where he eventually hit, uh, where Ezekiel Elliott scored the first touchdown, uh, that drive started with a, with Cowboys buried deep in their own end, um, a third and 13. Dak finding nobody open, literally scrambled, and instead of going to the sideline, he actually nudged ahead and dove and got 14 yards for the first down, and that eventually uh, set up the uh, 56-yard bomb to Des Bryant and the Cowboys' first touchdown, and it gave him a lead and gave him a little bit of confidence. And those are the type of plays that have kind of propelled Dallas to why they're 11-1. And generally, we see those kind of plays on teams that are making a run. Even look at look at Carolina last year. Uh, you know, Carolina had some magic. You know, they had some magic. And, you know, if, even though they ran into a buzzsaw and Von Miller in the Super Bowl, the point is that, you know, they got there. The, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the momentum and the momentum and their uh, their lack of mistakes kind of got them to where they are. And Dallas doesn't make a ton of mistakes. And they can run the football and they eat up time of possession. And they prove that they could win a game even when that doesn't go in their favor. So, yeah, it could be. It really could be their year. Who knows? Um, as far as uh, before we go, my matchup that I'm looking for, it's a, it's a pair of matchups that uh, you got all four teams, uh, you know, fighting it out. Uh, I'm looking at a pair of one o'clock games, uh, Miami at Baltimore and Houston at Green Bay. Uh, I'm looking at the four quarterbacks here. Uh, Aaron Rodgers should be the class of this foursome, but right now uh, I think he's doing too much. I think he has to do too much because he has no run, run game to speak of and the Green, and the Packers have no defense to speak of, but they're going up against Brock Oswalt and Houston's defense. Brock hasn't, quite honestly, Brock hasn't earned his, earned his money even though Houston is right now on top of the NFC, the AFC South, uh, Brock hasn't really been that good. Uh, you look at Ryan Tannehill, who's gotten the, the help of a, bat, of a running game with Jay Ajayi, and then you have the Ravens. Uh, that actually would be a preview of the wild card round right now. So uh, the winner of those games gets a gets a serious uh, leg up. Uh, if the Packers can pull it off, they kind of step a little bit closer into the muck of the the uh, NFC North, which the Lions are in control of right now. Uh, I still think that division is going to come down to uh, probably the end of the year or uh, New Year's Day, which is the which is the final week of the season. I just I'm waiting for the playoff scenarios to finally become clear because. If the Redskins do get in, I want them to be the sixth seed because I don't want to have to go to Seattle and play that first game because that would be a tall task. But if we can be the sixth seed and we can go to Detroit, then, yeah, I definitely think that we could go beat Detroit and then get the rematch in Dallas's first playoff home game against them. And I'm not afraid of going to Dallas and playing them in that first playoff game. You know, that's definitely a, a spot where the Redskins could win. But it's kind of going to determine their positioning because having to go to Seattle is just going to be too much of a bear for them. The bias, uh, looking at Atlanta specifically, um, you know, you're only a game above the uh, above Tampa Bay. Do you see 
see them as a threat? Um. Well, I mean, first of all, I ain't we. I don't play for the Falcons. I mean, yeah, I just I cover the team, so I ain't no we. Is them. But that being said, um, I do think that, you know, James Winston is getting together. I mean, they have a legitimate passing game, and they can run the ball pretty decently enough, and they play okay defense. And I don't think the Falcons are, you know, this world-beater team. I think that their offense is really good when everybody's healthy. Um, but the problem is it's been hard to keep um, Coleman and Freeman healthy. I mean, Coolio, we know what he is. But the question is, will Muhammad Sanu and other guys step up. I mean, they got a really big game out of Taylor Gabriel last week, but I mean, is he going to do that all the time? I doubt it. Um, the Falcons definitely have questions and holes, which again, that's why I was saying that this week against Kansas City is a pretty good game. I mean, because Kansas City is a good club. We know what they are. I mean, Alex Smith is king check down, but he gets the job done enough and they're a well-coached team. So yeah, I mean, I to be honest, the Falcons have exceeded my expectations for them this year, and I think that they have a chance to, you know, do some good things. But, yeah, I mean, they could end up not making the playoffs. I mean, it, it very well could happen either way. So this week will be a major indicator as to, you know, who they are and what they do. All right, to uh, give a quick recap of the Know the Score Fantasy League standings, uh, leading the way at 12-0, unbelievable, so undefeated. Uh, we have Team Captain America. Uh, we have at eight, uh, two teams tied at 8-4. Uh, no Goodell shall prosper and Grand Diddy's Dogs. Yeah, four-way tie for fourth place with uh, Bad Advice Bone, The Coup, and uh, Tim Dog, and Greensboro Aggies, which is my team, at 7-5. You've got uh, at 6-6, six six, you've got uh, you got Power and Glory, which is uh, Don Delarente. Uh, then you have two teams at three and nine, and which is uh, actually Kings of the Yard, which is uh, the Bison Squad, and Wyatt's uh, T-Bow New York Met. And then bringing up the rear, you have Supernaw uh, still waiting for their first win of the season at 0-12. Just want to remind you that you are listening to Know the Score, presented by the CSPN. One games this year? Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll talk about that another day. Right. <laughs> Jeez, I just have not been a good fantasy player this year. Sorry, guys. I've I, I kind of let the league down, so I apologize to the whole staff, man. I just haven't really been focused on it. Life's been life's been life this year for me, guys. I just haven't been focused on it. Next year, I'll be kicking y'all ass, but this year, man, y'all got it. I just got that. Yeah, I was I was a little worried. Um, you know, I started out one and four, and making it to seven, making it to seventy five has been a, been a solid run. Of uh, mainly, thank you, Des Bryant, for showing up, and Russell Wilson for getting back healthy, despite uh, Seattle's offensive line. But, you know, those are other those are issues that you know we can talk about on another day. You are listening to Know the Score, presented by the CSPN. Visit CSPN.us, then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down and click on the Amazon link to shop. Keep our podcast free by shopping at Amazon. Purchase items from Amazon as you normally would, whether it's books, music, electronics, jewelry, apparel. And for every purchase made on Amazon through our link, Amazon sends the CSPA a payment that helps keep the Dota Score podcast and our other podcasts free at for our listeners at no extra cost to you. Amazon.com through CSPA.us do it today. If you shop at Amazon often, bookmark the link or add it as your homepage so that you can help the CSPA each time you order. Of course, we thank you for your support. Moving on to college basketball. Uh, right now, it's the preseason. Uh, of course, we just wrapped up the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, headline game was uh, North Carolina headed up to Indiana and Indiana winning uh, kind of impressively. Uh, but of course, the uh, two rivals representing Indiana and North Carolina, uh, Isaiah Thomas brought everything back to the forefront. A historic beef win at the end of the game when Indiana assaulted the game away. He was seeing holding, holding up a card of the infamous crying Jordan Bean. Uh, and once again, showing that Petty is kind of fun. Uh, you guys, uh, you guys watch the game, uh, Carolina and I mean North Carolina and Indiana and uh, anything that you saw uh, started with Don uh, Indiana basically if you took my advice listen to the 2.1 seconds of madness podcast like Russell Hainline said as one of the teams with the ability to beat Carolina because they can make threes they use the same formula that Villanova did in the championship game where they left the lane open and they ran their pick and rolls right down the middle of the lane and had the big guy slip into the middle of the paint and they got a bunch of easy buckets at the rim. Then once Carolina adjusted, they started having their big guys pop out and then make an extra pass over to the corner, shoot threes, and they were making their threes. Uh, Roy Williams didn't really seem to do a lot as far as on the bench, as far as changing up his defense. Uh, I thought that he might have went to a 1-3-1 zone uh, because just Indiana was getting into the middle of the paint just so easy just to 
give them a different look, change up the attack. I'm off, defensively, Indiana did a really good job. They made it hard for Carolina to get the ball into the post, and then once they did get the ball into the post, they swarmed the big guys. And the big guys didn't keep it high. They were, you know, creating turnovers, creating steals, and limiting Carolina's transition game. I think Carolina got one transition bucket the whole game. So just a really good uh, defensive effort and plan for Indiana. They really recovered after that loss to Fort Wayne. Carolina looked sluggish. They looked like a team that had been off for a week and had been reading a lot of their own press clippings. So in my estimation, that might have been the reason why Roy didn't really do a lot as far as trying to change up the sway of the game. He probably wanted to have something to yell and scream about since they, you know, had gotten so much praise in the last, uh, you know, two weeks of the season beginning. So um, it'll be interesting. The next game that they really play against the top tier team will be Kentucky. So it'll be interesting to kind of see uh, how they look then when they get another chance to go on the road in, in, in a showcase environment. Uh, speaking of the Wildcats, uh, you've got one of the uh, feed best matchups of the year, regular season. Uh, you got the two Blue Bloods, uh, Kentucky and UCL, UCLA meeting up at the uh, the Wooden Invitational. Uh, UCLA is led by uh possibly NBA, uh, definitely a lottery pick, possibly the number one overall pick in guard Lonzo Ball. Uh, Kentucky's got got three guards who are potential lottery picks. Um, actually, their entire starting five could go in the lottery. Uh, Tobias, uh, anything that you've noticed uh, about Kentucky? And, uh, have you seen any of the uh, college matchups early on this year? Well, let's see, I guess I'll just start, I'll start with the first question. Um, yeah, I mean, Kentucky, I don't think they have, like, that top, you know, that, um, as Cal always has, that Carl Anthony Towns, that Anthony Davis, that Ray John Rondo, that guy, that DeMarcus Cousins. I don't think any of these guys are, as Roman Reigns would say, shout out to WrestleCast, the guy. But I do think they have a bunch of really good players who really like playing with each other. They play hard. Because, I mean, I don't – because, again, none of them is that guy. And one thing about Cal teams, you can say he gets all the stars. You can say, you know, he, he should have McDonald's at the back of the, you know, campus and everything. I mean, and that's fine. I mean, because that's part of it. But his teams play hard. They play together. They play smart. And they play for each other. And I think Kentucky is definitely a national championship contender. I mean, they got to be, right? I mean, when aren't they? I mean, they're really good. So, um, as far as the other games, man, shout out, to, shout out to Indiana, you know, bounce back off that Fort Wayne loss and really putting it to a good North Carolina team. I do wonder how good they're going to be really once the season gets started because Duke is struggling a little bit, but they're also not healthy. They also don't have all their best players. I think once they get healthy, it's going to be a fun ACC and, um, Kansas is still Kansas, which means still in the Big 12 again for however many times. And as far as the rest of it, really curious to see what like the Wichita's and the Gonzaga's who's going to be that mid-major team that's going to step up and make some noise there's always just one or two of them that are going to do some things you got a matchup right uh speaking of what are you uh well your old area teams uh Xavier is going up in, against Baylor in the only uh top 10 matchup of the week uh, it's kind of weird to see Xavier not be the the typical Midwest you know get four guys around one four around one and, and shoot um, Xavier likes to play kind of down and dirty, which they'll need to do against a bigger, uh, bigger Baylor squad that likes to get up and r- get out and run. Uh, and I think Baylor's a little bit better than what they were after after the early exit last year. Uh, Don, have you seen anything with uh, with Xavier and Baylor? I haven't seen Xavier play, but I did watch Baylor um, come back and beat Louisville last week. And uh, yeah, um, if you can shoot over their zone, um, you have a chance to win. But if you aren't making your shots like Louisville started to do in that second half, you're not going to get a chance to rebound the ball. So I think that's going to be Xavier's uh, deal today is to try to make a lot of shots to negate Baylor's uh, size advantage in their front court. I mean, they've got some really big guys in their front court, which, you know, makes the rebounding in their zone really effective. So Xavier, if they're making shots, I mean, they'll probably be able to, you know, play with Baylor. But if if Baylor's being able to rebound the ball and get out in transition, that could be a long day for Xavier. I am a huge Lonzo Ball fan, but there are two other uh, point guards that I really like, um, and they're both going to play each other in this matchup. You had at uh, Maryland against uh, Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State has probably one of the smoothest shooting point guards in the country that nobody's really heard of in Jawan Evans. Uh, he kind of showed out again in the Maui Invitational. And of course, he's taking on probably the biggest name in the ACC in Mellow Tribble. Um, uh, that would be the Big Ten, sir. I mean, the Big Ten. I know. Oh, I know. Old habits not hard. I old mean. habits. Old habits. Gee whiz. And they, you know, they still play ACC schools. So, yeah, the Big Ten. You have, uh, you have uh, Mellow Tribble, and 
that matchup is actually going to be one of the better guard matchups in the country. Uh, you know, Jawan Evans can put up 30 at any time. You know, Mello prefers to get his team teammates involved, but he's also a pretty solid shooter. Uh, any uh, Anyone looking forward to the matchup or uh, any, uh, any interest in Maryland? and see if they could make a run, perhaps get to the final eight. I don't think this is a year for Maryland. They're just a one-man show. Uh, they had a much better supporting cast last year, and uh, they you know, they, they didn't play well in the tournament and lost their chance to really make some noise. I, I really see them taking a, a huge step back um, this year. Um, but I'm interested, really, though, to see Lonzo Ball play against Kentucky. I mean, this kid is really good. He's got bounce. He's got court vision. He can shoot the ball. So it'll be real interesting to see, um, you know, with the um, potential NBA talent that's on the floor for Kentucky, um, to see him, you know, match up against those guys and, and see what he can pull up today. And, you know, one thing, uh, UCLA actually plays at a faster pace than Kentucky, who also likes to run. Uh, but the uh, I guess the way to beat Kentucky is to, you know, get out of the break and make layups. Because once Kentucky's defense is set, with all of that height and all that length that they have, you can pretty much forget it uh, in the uh, half court. Uh, this, this team to me, uh, has the potential to be one of the better defensive teams in the country, which is not really Kentucky's way of doing things. Uh, they usually have some, have one or two skill guys, and if they miss, you know, their big guys can grab it and put it back. But this team's going to gonna be in your face defensively, and there they dig in, uh, as we saw at the, uh, the season opening uh, uh, Coaches Classic. Uh, in in uh, Chicago, uh, they really frustrated Michigan State. Uh, it's gotten to the point where Michigan State just hasn't recovered yet. Uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing how this Kentucky team improves, particularly on offense, because they're going to be uh, they're going to shut teams down. So we want to see with uh, we're going to see if they could actually put up some points and see who's going to be the uh, the go to guy on offense. Maybe it's uh, it's kind of looking like Malik Buck who's shaping up to be the best shooter right now. He's kind of taking that Devin Booker role as the uh, perimeter specialist. But uh, but it definitely will be interesting. Just a reminder that you are listening to Know the Score on the CSPN. You can find us on our Twitter account, which is at KTSPod. You can also log on to KnowTheScore.CSPNUS, where you can hear every show. And you can vote in our polls via our hashtag KTSPolls. We move on to the National Basketball Association. We had a few, few games of interest. Uh, you had a couple of contenders facing each other. Uh, you had the defending champs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, going on the road and going down to the Los Angeles Clippers. And you had the runner-up, the Golden State Warriors, in a double overtime thriller where they lost to uh, James Harden and the Houston Rockets uh, in a game that was literally a shootout at the OK Corral as the two teams combined for 88 three-point attempts. Uh, Harden finished with a, a triple-double. Uh, he also got some help from Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. Uh, you know, this Mike D'Antoni offense can actually hang with Golden State. Uh, you know, any uh, reflections you have from the game? Uh, you know, this is an open discussion for this. I think, first of all, man, shout out to um, Ryan Anderson and um, Eric Gordon. By the way, I actually wrote a story about them um, a few weeks ago. That's on Sports. They at the hip forever. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, and actually it's interesting. They have a really cool friendship. There's a cool story on my, on my Twitter. I can send it out after the show if you guys want to read it. Um, just about their relationship and bond and how they've kind of seen each other through adversity and tough times. That being said... That being said, you know, they really work in that offense. I mean, look, they, they're like an 80s Western Conference team for real, man. I mean, they're going to move the ball. Defense is optional at best. But another big thing with them is shout out to Clint Capella, man. Um, one of the reasons why, among many reasons why it was easier for them to get rid of the White House was because of the coming of Clint Capella. And he has really stepped his game up. The Rockets, I mean, if nothing else, they're fun to watch, man. If they're fun to watch, they move the ball. They, you know, beat a pretty good. Normally, Denver's not really a good team, but Denver will push you. I mean, they feel like they feel like I said watching that watching Western Conference basketball in the eighties, man. Where yeah, are they going to win a championship? No, but they're going to eat, man, and they're going to score a lot of points, and they're going to be really fun to watch. And you know, Harden is a guy when he is locked in, is as good as any player in the league offensively, and. He, Look, I know we had the gifts of his defensive lapses, but when he is locked in on defense, he's a serviceable to pretty good defender. 
So, look, I, the Rockets are, I guess, another uh, LA analogy. Right? I mean, look, the, the, the Rockets are like, the, the, like we call it summer love, right? Like, you know, like you're not going to necessarily wife that person, but they're fun. Like, they're fun, they're cute, and, you know, she does that thing you like. So, and that's what the Rockets are. They're your summer love. You know, you, I mean, you, you, you're not going to put a ring on it, and she probably doesn't want that from you either, but you're going to have a hell of a time in the process. Um, going back to when D'Antoni was at Phoenix and this offense was the exception and not the norm, the only team that ever really gave them problems and could really ever just blow Phoenix out and just have them discombobulated were the Golden State Warriors under Don Nelson because he actually played a style that was similar or maybe even faster. So now if you fast forward that, basically Golden State is D'Antoni's system on HGH. So if there's one coach that can, you know, understand what they're doing and kind of slow it down enough and actually accentuate his own offense, which isn't quite as dynamic, but still has the same principles, it would be Mike D'Antoni. And that's basically what you saw. Um, They put Steph in a lot of bad situations. I mean, a lot of the times he was, they had him playing Ryan Anderson so he could shoot over him. So Ryan Anderson had a great night shooting the ball from three. And then if they could get him, they would get Steph stuck on James Harden, which of course we all know is a disadvantage. And it led to Steph fouling out in the second overtime, which meant that Golden State's offense went into the tank. And I think they were like one for nine in the overtime. And Harden was doing what he was doing. He spread the court out. And if they come, he pass. If they don't and play one-on-one, he tried to get as far as he can and make a decision. And like Nobody said, it was in Tyler said as well, if you like the strategy of basketball, it's just a very fun game to watch. Very beautiful game to watch offensively. Um, not so much on defense, but I mean, you know, the Warriors actually are better at defense when they play help side defense, when they can have KD and Draymond come over and be their kind of rim protector in that way than when they have to play just straight up guards or man defense. So that would be something to watch for later on in, in the season if teams can kind of negate what Golden State's defensive system looks like it's trying to be, which is KD and um, Draymond Green kind of swooping up everything near the rim. But it was a fun game to watch. Clay Thompson didn't really show up, so Eric Gordon scoring those 23 points really helped Houston because before this game, basically Durant, Steph, and uh, Clay Thompson have been averaging around 25 points each game, which is just amazing. And NBA, so good, good fun game. I mean, oh, and I mean, another thing with them, right? With Golden State, I mean, we made so much of their struggles, right? They're right now on pace to about win the same amount of games they did last year if they really wanted to push it and we'll see. But I mean, it, it's going to be really tough. Like my boy Nick said a couple weeks ago, we had him on, man. It's going to be really tough to beat a team like that, barring injury, if everybody's healthy, because they're going to figure things out. They are learning rotations. I mean, one of the things that you know, hindered the Warriors last year. Curry was struggling with some injuries and other things. Um, it got to the point where they just ran the the guys just ran their offense right out. Like literally, it was like the basically the basketball version of having like a weak offensive, weak defensive line or a linebacker, and you're just running the ball at them every play, right? I mean, that's really what the Cavs did, essentially did. So now, forward that to this year. Will you be able to expose or take advantage of the, the defensive deficiencies of the Warriors enough to counteract beating them on offense? And I don't think there's very many teams that can do it. Maybe the Clippers, maybe the Cavs. And that's about it, if anybody can. I do think Houston Golden State will be a fun series if that happens. Because, I mean, hey, man, those guys are going to light it up. And, I, and look, I, I like watching all other Defense is great. I, you know, I still think defense wins championships. Man, there's something about watching two gunners go forward and to watch Harden try to go at those guys. And like I said, man, you know, we sleep on Eric Gordon because he, unfortunately, has just not been healthy. Again, in a story I highlighted on SportingNews.com. Um, but that being said, man, um, I do want to see what those teams would be like healthy. And I will say this, I think Clay Capella would have a major advantage inside against Zaza and some of the other guys that Golden State throws out there. So he could maybe neutralize some things they do well. A couple of things I just want to point out for that matchup. Uh, the Warriors only shot 50% on what's need uh, contested shots. And the big three of Thompson, Durant, and Curry with a combined 12 of 44 from three. So you can't have that in a high-scoring game, of course. Um, I don't think the issue, well, everyone talks about the Warriors' lack of rib protection. Um, I don't think that's the case, really. I just think that sometimes uh, they have to guard for this during the regular season. They get bored um, because things come so easily to them. I mean, look, their defensive metrics are actually on the rise right now. Uh, they defended the Rockets uh, pretty well, at a, you know, analytically. Uh, the problem was the guys just 
just didn't hit enough shots. Um, right now, their point differential is by far and away the best of the league. Uh, they're averaging right now very close to a team record in scoring. Uh, they're remarkably efficient. I think this was just a rare a rare case where you just had somebody that was able to just wear the big three down in their individual matchups. But I still, but like Nabaya said, it's just hard. It's just going to be so hard to beat them uh, four times because they can just come right back at you uh, via the break or even in their set offense with so much movement that, you know, they end up breaking you down and getting more open looks as the game goes on. Of other big matchups this week, you had the Cavs uh, going on the road and falling to the L.A. Clippers. Uh, it was a big statement game for the Clippers. Uh, you got 21 points in the first half from J.J. Redick, and then the other guys joined the party. Uh, the key was uh, Los Angeles having a plus 18 on the bench. Uh, you know, last week, uh, Don talked about the Clippers and how they've kind of, uh, how they were going to match up with teams like Cleveland. Uh, but let's go from Cleveland's perspective. Uh, you know, when they meet up against a team for the Western Conference that can score, um, how are they going to be able to react with just playing about seven or eight guys? Um, you know, any perspective on that, Don? Cleveland, to me, is one of these teams that you can get them on just a one-off, but once you have to play them game and game and game and game in and game out, they kind of get hip to what you're doing, and they get better as the season goes on because, I mean, the Christmas Day matchup, they got blown out big time by the uh, Warriors last year, and then the the next game, they were a little bit better, but they still lost, but then we saw what happened when we played them in the finals. So, um, to me, it was still more about the Clippers. They went on the road. This game was in Cleveland. They went on the road. Like you said, J.J. Reddick had a great first half. And what I like about Doc Rivers, I saw this in a game a couple of weeks ago. Then they played Houston. He got fouled on a three-pointer, so he shot three free throws. So they get the ball off a defensive rebound. Doc calls a three-point set. He hadn't called one really all game. This obvious. He calls a three-point set. J.J. Reddick comes off the screen. Bam, hits a three. They go back down, make another stop. He calls another three-point set. And then J.J. Reddick comes off the screen. Bam. Not overrun by J.J. Reddick just by himself because Doc Rivers is so in tune with what they're doing right now. And I really like what they're doing. They seem to be playing a little bit faster. Blake Griffin is opening up the lane now. They're taking more jumpers that he can make. Not three-pointers, but 15 to 17-foot jumpers. Gives DeAndre more room to rebound and, you know, do whatever little offense that he has. And allows Chris Paul also to be able to drive and get all the way to the basket now where he doesn't have to rely on just shooting his jumper. So I kind of like what they're doing. As offensively, they could still, you know, show up some things on defense. But when you have DeAndre Jordan, you know, playing up all your mistakes, you can deal with some lack perimeter defense. So uh, this game to me, like I said in the opening, was still more about the Clippers and the Cavaliers. The Cavaliers will, you know, they'll win enough games in the East that they can turn their focus to, you know, playing whatever team. Because they only got to beat a Western Conference team four times. It's not like they have to beat them throughout the season. So I mean, that's kind of where their focus are when they kind of play these Western Conference teams. Well, I mean, you know, look, man, um, Casual, like, on a little three-game losing streak, but that game was really good. And like I said, I mean, the Clippers, the concern about the Clippers is it isn't what you see on the court now. I mean, because I think we know that Chris Paul is still one of the, what, say, two or three best point guards in the league. Great Griffin is one of the two or three best power forwards in the league. Um, my man DeAndre Jordan is, I would say, top five big man in the league. I mean, that, that's as much of a big three as you can get, right? I mean, you th- I mean, you think about it. I mean, those are three very special type players who do some really special things. Then you got JJ Redick off. Then you got JJ Redick who has become a really good shooting guard, and you still got Jamal Crawford coming off the bench. I mean, that is a that is a really good team that has also really bought in defensively. So I don't see why they couldn't be a championship contender other than being the Clippers, right? I think what it comes down to the Clippers is, do they have enough wing presence? I mean, yeah, J.J. is a good shooting guard. They still have a whole lot small forward. And in the Western Conference, that's kind of the one position where you can't be light <laughs> is that small forward because there's Kawhi so many Leonard good small forwards. Right. Especially if you're talking about upper tier, you know, top tier playoff type basketball. So I think that's kind of where people are still hesitant to buy all the way into the Clippers just because they're looking down the road, like I said, to you know, when you're one of these top three or four teams, it's really not about the season that you're looking at. It's about the series of games that you start looking at. And when you put them in a series of games against Kawhi Leonard or the Warriors, yeah, that's the advantage that those teams are going to have is on that perimeter, the small forward and the shooting guard. And until they can kind of make that not so big of a glaring weakness on their team, then, you know, people are going to have question marks, I think. So we look at uh, our Russell Westbrook update, uh, the Thunder have won four straight games. He's uh, Westbrook has had four straight triple doubles. Uh, 
he tied LeBron for six all time. We just finished celebrating LeBron reaching hit, getting his 44th triple double. Uh, and Russ has not only caught him, but he's caught him in 359 fewer games. Uh, but you know, the uh, Oakley Thunder of course, are still going to struggle to reach there, uh, to reach the four or even the, the five seed. Uh, just talk about uh, Russ and uh, the Thunder and how can they have a chance to make, you know, make a run and try to get into the uh, you know top four or if it's possible. Uh, the bias anything you see? Wait, wait, would you ask me? I'm sorry, I kind of lost you. Uh, just the Thunder and uh, Russ and, you know, Russ is having to do everything and they're just struggling to reach the, uh, the uh, five spot at best. Do well, you think I mean, they can do anything to get to right higher? His usage rate is insane, and I don't see how he's going to be able to keep that up. I just don't. Um, I, I mean, I, I wish I had a better way to say it. I just don't see how he's going to be able to keep that up. I mean, and you look at that team, I mean, hey, man, good friend of mine, Anthony Morrow, plays there, and I like him a lot, but he's got to find ways to contribute. I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it, but it, it's – it's really fascinating to watch. In fact, I'm going to get to see them live on Monday, and I'm really excited about that game. So, And they'll have a shoot-around in Atlanta, which would be cool. I'll actually be able to get to go talk to them a little bit, kind of see what's going on. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious. I'm as curious as you are. I, I wish I knew, but, I mean, I think Oscar Robinson said it best. He's like, man, everybody needs some help out there. And, I mean, it's just still mind-boggling to me how – Three years ago, him, Harden, and Durant all were together. And you look at each of those guys, like, how the heck did that work? And it did work, but I guess that's why it had to end. So I don't know how he is going to make it happen. But I just look forward to him keep trying. And I just hope he doesn't hurt himself too badly doing it. Um, as far as my outlook goes, I'm rooting for the history as he is currently averaging the triple double for the season. And uh, as he continues to get triple doubles, um, you know, he brings that pushes the averages up. So maybe he can do it for a whole season. Um, but to Nabas's point, it's going to be very hard because I'm not really into the analytics numbers as far as the usage rate. But yeah, the, just the number of minutes a game and, and what he does. Because, I mean, he's 6'4", so rebounding is a little bit easier for him than most point guards. But that probably takes the most energy is for him to, to chase those rebounds on defense. Now, to Tyler's question to what can help them maybe move up in the stands a little bit is they need to trade and try to get a professional shooter that can start. Because if they had a three-point shooter, it create more space on the court so he wouldn't take as much contact, meaning Russ, when he did drive because they can just slump off all their shooters. They don't really have an outside threat. I mean, Morrow was awful to start the season. He's kind of found his shot a little bit, but that really hasn't helped enough to where teams don't just clog the lane and wait for Russ to come down the lane and try to rough him up. So if they could find him a, a shooting guard or a small forward who could knock down 40% of his three-point shots for them, I think that would definitely increase their chances of becoming one of those top four teams. But if they can just get in the playoffs – as we've seen, you know, we've got a, a superstar like Russell Westbrook who can elevate the rest of his teammates. You know, if they can steal a game on the road, anything can happen. And finally, the NBA topic would be uh, we had a matchup this week of the two best rookies in last year's draft, uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Chris Dasprazigas. Uh, the two combined for 76 points uh, as the Knicks beat the beat the T-Wolves. Uh, Towns had a career-high 47 as he hit uh, 12, his first 12 shots. Uh, just talk about the matchup and winning the battle between these two as they're just at a pretty solid pace so far. Um, it's, the evolution. it's the evolution of Kevin Durant and Dirk to me. I mean, you know, Kevin Durant never fancied himself as a power forward, one, because he didn't want to have to or center, excuse me, because he didn't want to have to guard Shaq. So he always said that he was a, a power forward, and then he, you know, even morphed out at some point to being more of a small forward in the way that his game set up on the court. And I kind of see that with Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, he's a small forward trapped in the center's body. And then Porzingis, I mean, to be seven foot three and be able to shoot threes, block dunks, uh, do, uh, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, one leg turnaround, fadeaways off the backboard. I mean, this dude is, is phenomenal. And I think we're in, like, the new... Between these three guys, between Towns, Christoph Porzingis, and Anthony Davis, I think they're the next generation of basketball stars. I mean, because LeBron and Wade and Carmelo probably have five to seven good years left. And if you even max it out at seven, these three guys will be right in the prime of their careers and, you know, ready to win championships or maybe have won a couple of championships by then. So I think they're the future of the NBA. And uh, basketball is going to be looking real weird when you have seven-foot guys who can – Take guys off the dribble, shoot threes, and post up. Tobias, uh, you got any perspective? You know, see uh, the Knicks and, uh, and KP up close, and, and just as perspective on uh, KAT. 
I mean, look, I like I like Porzingis a lot, man. Um, I gonna see them live. I think in a week. So I'm looking for. I saw them in the preseason. I've actually seen them live since then. I mean, other than like on TV, but um, here's the deal. I mean, what I will say about this Knicks team this year, they do play hard. I don't think they're exceptionally good, but Porzingis is special, and and he, I think. Is still growing, what, second year? So I think my third year, we know who he really is. But what I like the most is his intensity. I like the fact that he is a willing teammate. And I hate using the word humble because it gets overused, but he does have a certain amount of humility to his game as well, where he is willing to share. He is willing to still kind of defer to Camelo and some of those other guys. So, I mean, the Knicks kind of, I mean, hey, man, look, the Knicks could still slip in there. Why not? I mean, the East really isn't very good. Like, you see the Atlanta Hawks, they went from first <laughs> to worst darn near. And you talk about Carl Anthony Towns, man. I mean, that kid is special. He's got it. And, I mean, there's a lot of young men. Joel Embiid, you know, when he's right, that kid is athletic and talented and smart. Um, I just saw Andre Drummond last night, man. So, yeah, like, the, the game is evolving. The game is changing. Just reminded that you are listening to Know the Score, presented by the CSPN. Visit our website at knowthescore.cspn.us. Follow us on Twitter at KTSPod. And keep the conversation going by using the hashtag KTSPod. Now it's time for our KTS polls brought to you by Skull Candy Audio. Let me tell you about Skull Candy. Skull Candy makes the best headphones, earbuds, and gaming headsets, all with lifetime warranties. Skull Candy produces many types of audio accessories, including headphones, sports earbuds, Xbox gaming headsets, PlayStation gaming headsets, DJ headphones, iPod headphones, and MP3 headphones. And now for the listeners of Nova Score, Skull Candy offers free standard shipping on your orders. To help keep our podcast free, order from Skull Candy by going to CSPN.us. They're keeping on the then clicking on the Keep Our Podcast Free link. Click on the Skull Candy banner and then shop for high-quality audio accessories with free standard shipping. Skull Candy Audio through CSPN.us. Do it today. Now we head over to our polls. Uh, first of all, we have the polls, which are the play of the week, the score of the week, and ride the pie. The play of the week is a single on-the-field sports play that we feel that it's the best of the week. Uh, each of our panelists will nominate, and you can vote by via notascore.cspn.us, the hashtag KTSPod, or the hashtag KTSPolls, and each of our individual accounts will retweet those polls. Uh, first, we will each pick a play of the week. Last week's play of the week, with 60% of the vote, was Jordan Reed's amazing one-handed catch against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Don, you can start off with your play of the week. This week, my play of the week will probably be the Kansas City Chiefs game winning field goal. Um, basically, the field goal kicker played Plinko with the upright. Uh, it was like a 27-yard field goal, and he kicks the ball, and it starts way outside of the upright. It fades it back in, hits the upright square, and bounces inside of the other upright to give Kansas City the victory uh, in a game that looked like it was going to be a tie. So, shout out to Kansas City Chiefs field goal kicker for his game-winning Plinko uh, field goal. And I'll definitely take those fantasy points. The bias, your uh, play of the week. All right, for me, man, um, shout out to the Chiefs in the game with a field goal, man. Bouncing off the upright, going in, salute to them, getting another win. And like I said, coming in this week, it's Falcons, big game for both teams. All right, I'm going to uh, give the other option for the play of the week. I'm going to go with the, again, proving that petty is always fun. Uh, the New Orleans Saints with that up tw- that were up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter. The uh, Saints go with a trick play, which was a backward pass to wide receiver Willie Sneed, who did throw a bomb to running back Tim Hightower. And of course, the Saints were facing the L.A. Rams and the former defensive coordinator Greg Williams. Williams, of course, was the man behind the bounty scandal, and much the uh, name is pretty much mud in New Orleans. Uh, yeah, Saints, Saints with their petty definitely played a week for me. Go to Ride the Pod. Winner was pretty much easy. Uh, all the NFL kickers for their uh, <laughs> for not doing their jobs last week uh, and forcing some major decisions in coaching uh, uh, with missing extra points as the NFL competition committee rejoiced. Uh, the NFL kickers took 50% of the vote uh, for Ride the Pine. Uh, the bias will start with your Ride the Pine for this week. Man, Jeff Waltz, the women's coach at Louisville, man, he, you know, he lost the game and he talked all this stuff about 
entitlement, um, you know, participation trophies. But, you know, look, he still gets paid if his team wins or loses, right? So, you know, who's this guy? And he coaches, and none of his players get paid. But he has to nerd talk about participation trophies. I'm just so sick of that narrative in sports, period. Like, who cares if a kid gets a ribbon for finishing a season? I'm just tired of it. I'm over it. Move on. Find something new. Look, life will crush your kid soon enough. No point in not giving him a trophy. And this guy needs to find ways to be to be Connecticut rather than talking about what seven-year-old got a trophy. Win your games. Worry about yourself. Keep your own job. All right, Todd, do you ride the pine? I don't know who who is who is the one that I want to ride the pine more, whether it's Jeff Fisher or Eric Dickerson. Um, so maybe the both of them can ride the pine because I can understand where Jeff Fisher's coming from. Like, yeah, homie, you go, go on the radio, talk bad about me and my team. But then at the same time, you want to come hang out on our sideline too? Nah, player. Then I can understand Eric Dickerson saying, hey, man, you know, I am in the media. This is kind of what I do. So it's, you know, yes, I have the personal ties with the Rams, but it is kind of like my job at the same time. So, you know, this little back and forth that they've got going on, they both can ride the pine. All right, my ride the pine just goes to the, the pure best that is U.S. soccer. Uh, of course, last week, uh, beginning of last week, Jurgen Klinsmann was fired uh, after a 4 nothing loss to Costa Rica, uh, which is a probably a low point for the program. Uh, and the program even may have taken, a for some say, another step in the wrong direction by rehiring Bruce Arena, uh, who didn't get it done the first time. So as Arena takes over, he inherits a team that already has two losses in this, um, you know, in this rotation of qualifying. And right now, we really don't know if Team USA is confident in qualifying for Russia. So just for the best of U.S. soccer, the entire program can ride the pine. And our final superlative would be the score of the week. The score of the week is a single individual uh, stat or score. Uh, we had a three-way tie last week, which is uh, not good. We want you guys to vote. We hate ties because, you know, we like we like individuals. We like people to stand up and speak out. We can't have ties. Let's not do it. So we had uh, the three-way tie last week. We had uh, the number 10, which was the franchise record winning streak for the Cowboys. We had 30, uh, 34, which was Kevin Love's uh, first quarter points uh, in, a, in an outstanding game uh, where he just emerged out of nowhere. And, of course, the number seven, which is the number of NASCAR championships won by Jimmy Johnson as he wrapped up the season uh, winning the final race at Homestead. Uh, for the score of the week, uh, we go ahead with Don. Uh, this week, for score of the week, I'm going to have to go with Russ, man, because, you know, as uh, you and um, uh, Dante, be like Dante, I said a couple weeks ago, it was Russ against the world. So 44, number of career triple doubles and growing for Russell Westbrook. All right, for the bias, your score of the week. Last, well, really, oh, four, oh, and four, man. Awesome. Lost the last four games. Going into tonight, we'll still play at Toronto. By the time this airs, they may be on five in their last five. So, you know, what comes up must go down. Now we can see how they um, keep it going so, moving forward. My score of the week is the number 130, which is the number of consecutive home non-conference game winning streak for the Blue Devils of Duke University. Uh, the basic thing is this is a uh, this is a 16-year winning streak. Uh, their last loss was in 2000 when they came up against Mike Jarvis and St. John's and a, the legend of Bootsy Thornton, uh, you know, had a key bucket as uh, as St. John's. Uh, was the last team, eventually the last team to ever win in Cameron Indoor Stadium, a non-conference, of course, being a non-conference team. Uh, the next longest in uh, the next longest street is Wichita State's forty-eight, which is unreal. Uh, so that would be our my score of the week, uh, one thirty for the Duke Blue Devils. We've now reached the end, to the end of the show. Uh, this is our chance where we give our final thoughts, uh, gentlemen. It's been a wonderful time uh, talking with you guys as we get ready to host individual shows over the next uh, three weeks. Uh, it's always fun to have, uh, give perspectives at the same time. Uh, you know, we always are seeking and recruiting guests, but it's always good to have conversations with y'all, with you two. Tobias, uh, uh, you can start with giving your final thoughts of the week. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, one thing I learned in life, man, is just sports are definitely a microcosm of life. I think I've said that repeatedly. It's been a reoccurring theme of mine. I think two things you know me say is, hey, man, get your money and get your buckets. And you can tell a lot about a person about how they feel about sports. I think now in the era of Trump, I think we're going to see things get a lot more racialized and angry. And it'll be very interesting to see what types of things change and how athletes are referred to. So, 
you know, we're going to be asking him to speak more. Um, I guess I did a piece with Jabari Parker last week on sportingnews.com that you can find where, you know, the brother gave some really insightful answers on just life and what's going on in these streets. And then we have what happened to my man, Joe McKnight. And, you know, it just seems like a brother who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, man. And yeah, we're just living in times where you just have to be really more aware of where you're at, what you're doing, and how, you, and how you're living out here, man. Because people are angry and are getting angrier. And unfortunately, as that goes, people of color tend to be the ones who suffer the most when our society is angry. So just keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on how people say things about sports or how they refer to these athletes. Because it'll be very telling is to their attitudes on other things. Hey, Don, uh, your, your final Yeah, thought. I'd just like to um, piggyback on the boss point, RIP to Joe McKnight and uh, his, all his families and friends. Just a, a senseless act uh, earlier this week. Um, second football player in less than a year to be taken uh, with a road, a road rage incident. Um, of course, we had Will Smith, uh, formerly of the Saints, um, earlier this year, um, who uh, died the same way. Um, on a little happier note, I'd like to give a big shout-out to LaBelle Moten and the North Carolina Central basketball team, who went to Missouri, took the check, and took the win as well, as they uh, led wire-to-wire. I think the score was 62-55. to 55. Uh, this week, so uh, LaBelle Moten finally got that big um, that big win against a, a big time Division One program. Uh, that's the coach of North Carolina Central. Uh, they're doing big things, and uh, look out for them uh, later on to be a factor in uh, tournaments that uh, are when they're announced in the bracket. They should have a good chance to get back in again this year, and hopefully not in the play-in game. Not if they take two L's to the North Carolina AT Aggies, though. <laughs> Sounds like somebody feels off to you about football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a really uh, an interesting situation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're we're not happy right now. Um, we appreciate the trophy in the playoff spot, though. Yeah, I'll, yeah. You know, we'll take it. We'll take that little payday from the NCAA. Uh, you know, let the Eagles go down and take care of whoever they beat in the Celebration Bowl. Be uh, Grant. Hopefully, it's it's the uh, it's Grambling. Because you kind of want your two best teams to be there. And that, that'll be the first bowl game on ABC. As we conclude the show, just want to give a uh, just give a quick thought. Um, our sports gives us a chance to escape the monotony of our daily lives. Um, you know, we, we root for teams. We, uh, we root for these athletes. But when the individual athletes decide to step away from sports and use their celebrity to make an impact for all people, are we embracing these athletes for the courage to do so? Or do fans say, just do your job? You know, I don't need to hear what you have to say, especially when if I don't agree with your point of view. It's one thing to advertise a product. Minnesota Viking guard like his Thursday night football intro. So stand like Colin Kaepernick took a knee. You know, everybody and say, I'm Tyler Ball, and now you know the story.